the Catholic Channel Sirius XM 129 presents Just Love with your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of New York. Welcome to Just Love. I'm Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. This is our weekly conversation about the church in the world. We look at what is going on in the world and we look at um, how we view those things through the prism of our Catholic values, our Catholic beliefs, um, our Catholic wisdom. And we look at them as they affect the dignity of the human person. We look at them from the perspective of how they enhance or impede family life, how they impact workers and the dignity of the workplace. We also look at solid the uh, values across the world about how what's going on in the world either calls us to greater solidarity with one another or how it disrupts that solidarity among nations and among different people throughout the world. And obviously we look at the environment. Uh, I say obviously, but you know, quite frankly, adding the notion of the environment and care for God's creation is a relatively kind of new and and positive addition to the way we've traditionally talked about the values of our Catholic wisdom and what are the things that we look through in order to to see what's going on in the world. And adding stewardship and the environment is, quite frankly, relatively new in um, in the toolbox of Catholic values that we try to bring to bear to make our world more just and more compassionate. And so today, we're kind of going to focus on two of those uh, values. We're going to focus on family and appropriately because Mother's Day is coming coming up. Uh, and uh, that's something that, although it's completely secular, and to be perfectly honest, I think completely commercial, in the sense that um, it probably is is a real boon for florists and other people, but there is a lot of good values in it, and we should raise up, you know, family. We should raise up moms, even if it is uh, primarily kind of a secular or civic civic holiday. Uh, Tom, so um, what are you doing for Mother's Day? Well, I'm going to make the florist a bit richer. Let's see. <laughs> I'm going to go and get, I'm going to see my mom on uh, Sunday. I'm going to bring her, you know, flowers, which is her, you know, is something that she likes. And we're going to be, uh, and the whole family is getting together to take her out to dinner. So we're going to the local Italian restaurant. So oh. she's very excited. She's very excited to be with her three sons and her grandchildren. And uh, so she's really looking forward to it. All right. That, what kind of flowers? Oh, well, she likes gardenias. Right. So, uh, and you know, of course they would have to be one of the, on the more expensive side. So, <laughs> yeah, but you know, so, oh, but so I have to ask you, Tom, um, have you kind of made your contribution to rice bowl with all your Lenten savings? I did. I did. I wrote them the check and I sent it to them. They haven't responded back yet, All right, <laughs> but I well, sent it, but I, but I sent it snail mail. So, <laughs> well, but check your bank account, see if it, yeah, see if, well, see if it cleared that- that's that way you'll be able to uh, able <laughs> to, um, to do it. So it's uh, it's uh, good. I'm glad glad that um, you know. Say hello to your mom for me, okay? I will, Monsignor. Uh, I, I definitely will. <laughs> that that is that's good. So that's a she likes Italian food. I hope. 
She does. She does. And it's a great little place. And it's it's not fancy, which is good for us because, you know, I have my niece and my nephew. They're 10 and 9. So they can run around and we can relax and we don't have to worry about upsetting people. It's good. Wonderful. <laughs> that is that is great. So why don't we, Tom, and, and thank you for lining up our guests, um, you know, and let's go to our first guest. Our first guest is Tina Sherman, who is a senior campaign director for the Maternal Justice Campaign, which is um, you know a campaign of moms rising together. And so I'm delighted that as we're kind of on this in this Mother's Day weekend, that we're going to talk about uh, maternal justice. And um, Tina Sherman, thank you for taking the time to be with us on Just Love. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Great, Tina. So give our um, give our listeners just a little bit of a sense of your background and what you've been doing for the past number of years and how'd you wind up doing what you're doing now? Yeah, thank you. So um, again, my name is Tina Sherman. I am the senior campaign director at Moms Rising, and we work on a variety of um, family um, economic security matters, um, ranging from affordable childcare to um, access to um, uh, access to healthy foods. Um, and my particular suite of issues um, deals with maternal uh, maternal health, and specifically um, around increasing uh, maternal justice, ensuring that. Um, all um, women have access to um, the adequate health care that they need and they can watch their children grow up and thrive. I'm the mom of four, ranging from um, a 16-year-old whew, to be a mom of a teenager, um, <laughs> twin 13-year-olds and a seven-year-old, and um, started my career in public policy, um, became a birth doula along the way. And in this position, I get to marry both my my um, my academic and professional experience in policy with my love of working with parents. So, so Tina, let me let me stop you for a second because, you know, I think um, I have some sense of what a birth doula is, but I'm not sure I've got it right. But I bet you there are a number of people who are our listeners who you know maybe my me a little vague. We may have some idea, and some may not have any idea. Of it, so so tell us. Tell, first of all, tell us the the kind of the etymology or where did that word come from. It's not a very common word, doula. Yeah, you know, doulas um, have been a part of you know maybe now um, over the last um, handful of years become um, a part of the you know nomenclature um, here in our country. But um, doulas have been around for for decades. I might even argue, or for centuries. I might even argue since you know since the beginning of time. Um, but doulas really um, are part of the birth team um, and work with the family uh, to welcome their newest addition um, into their family. Um, they are not medical providers, so we you know look to and rely on our midwives and our OBs, our family practitioners, um, family physicians. Um, but we, as doulas, really provide that um, emotional support um, throughout labor. Um, and uh, before labor, during labor, and then, you know, once mom and mom and baby come home um, and really provide education um, about what does the birthing process look like <laughs> um, and what to expect um, and to, to also plan for some of the difficulties that, that come along the way um, and then are there to help them um, really empower parents to make the, the best decision for them, right? You know, parents are going to come into the birthing process with 
you know, their own thoughts and wishes. And we really want to help them to, to craft the experience that they want, but also be prepared for the challenges that, that may arise just because it's, it's birth. Um, and then we're there after baby has arrived um, to talk through um, that, uh, that process and, um, you know, you know, maybe how to start breastfeeding, um, make sure you get your appointments and sort of answer any of those questions. So we're really there from those early weeks, um, you know, when parents may hire a doula through the postpartum period. So let me ask you another question, because another word, which again, I think maybe, so a doula is not a midwife. A doula is not a midwife. We work in conjunction with, but we're not midwife. So what's a midwife? A uh, midwife is a trained healthcare professional um, who supports in the delivery um, of baby. They, uh, they, what they do is they, they, they catch the babies is what you'll often hear um, them say. Um, but they um, uh, are medical, medically trained professionals. Okay. All right. So I learned something and I bet you that our listeners uh, learned a lot uh, too. How long have you been, um, pardon me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> How long have you been dueling? Du- dueling? Um, <laughs> actually, I appreciate that you said that. That was a- the- actually the name of my business was doulaing. Um, that is actually a, a word I- I'm sure I didn't dub it, but you know, word- the word that I use. And the word uh, that we'll I give you, well, Tina, we'll give you credit for it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I've been doulaing um, for just shy of um, 12 years now. After my twins were, were, uh, were, were one, um, okay. I started being able to actively attend births. Ah, that is that's my uh, my pleasure. And many of my many of my clients have given birth to their second and thirds and fourths at this point. Wow, that is uh, <laughs> so. How many? Uh, so again, since you brought it up, is um, how many births have you dueled? I um, am over a hundred, um, but I have not. Um, I will say I don't get to doula as much as um, as much as I like my. My, my day full-time job at Mom's Driving takes up a lot of my time now. So I unfortunately do not get to attend births the way I used to. Yeah. But I used to attend um, at least two a month, okay. which, was, uh, which was a lot. Yeah. So we're speaking with Tina Sherman, who is now the Senior Campaign Director for the Maternal Justice Campaign at Mom's Rising. So tell us now, let's, let's shift a little bit about... Um, you talked to us a little bit about moms rising together, but talk to us a little bit about maternal justice. That, that, I mean, if I figured out the words, I might get it, but that's why you're here. You're, tell us a little bit about what maternal justice is. Um, well, maternal justice really is that we want every person um, who gives birth to be able to have a respectful experience um, and to be able to, to watch their child grow up and thrive in a safe environment. Um, and so really everything that um, touches the mom from um, her uh, preconception days to, um, to you know, watching her child grow up into um, adulthood um, is really about maternal justice. Um, it encompasses my specific focus is on um, um, those sort of maternal health, those childbearing um, years. Um, but it, but maternal justice encompasses much, a much wider um, spectrum. So, all right. So let's focus on, on kind of your area of particular focus. What are some of the issues kind of we're dealing with, you know, we're, we're around mother's day and mm-hmm. maternal mom, same thing. So what are some of the current issues that you see 
as central to um, my words, kind of as a society doing this mom thing better? How do, what are we supposed to, what's going on in that world? Yeah. So, you know, sadly, the, um, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, um, but the U.S. is not doing a, a great job when it comes to moms and maternal health. Um, American women are actually more likely to die from pregnancy-related complications than women in many other countries, including the UK, Libya, and, and Kazakhstan. Um, globally, the US is the only industrialized nation to experience an increase in maternal mortality over the last two decades. Um, with, um, with having the, we also have the highest maternal mortality ratio among the wealthiest nations in the world. And, and this, unfortunately, has remained unchanged um, since 1915. Um, so we are leading the world in the wrong direction when it comes to maternal health. Um, okay. And then um, we- I did, curious. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, when I was a kid, I used to get in trouble with my mom because whenever anybody would say something like that, I'd always say, well, why? And she'd say, come on, let's go on to something <laughs> else. Say, well, why? And so, so how come? Why, why since 1915, um, we're doing worse than other countries. Yeah, you know, I appreciate um, my, my children are always asking why. <laughs> so I appreciate you're asking, you're asking why. Um, we, we, what we do know is that um, the two leading causes for maternal um, ha- um, death, um, particularly in women of color, um, are hemorrhaging and high blood pressure. And when we, when we talk about women of color, um, black women like myself are, are actually three to four times more likely to die from pregnancy-related causes than white women. Um, and we're, so the racial disparities, our, our maternal health you know, is already in crisis, but then if you're a black woman or a, a brown woman, a woman of color, um, you're even more at peril um, right now. And, and we know that, that these outcomes um, are typically the result of, of laws, policies, and institutional practices. Um, that are not congruent with um, with the care that, that parents need. And so what are some of those policies? Um, well, we know that we need to be having um, uh, access to um, affordable health care. Um, it, actually, it turns out that 60% of the maternal deaths in our country um, are preventable. Um, and so when we look at some of the preventions, I want to say that again, because it, it really astonishes me when we think about the, the children that are growing out with that, growing up without their mothers, 60% of those deaths could be prevented. Um, we know that there are very simple investments that, that we could make. And there's actually policy right now um, before Congress um, called the Black Maternal Health Momnibus. Um, that would address some of these issues. Um, We know that we need to be providing culturally competent care. Um, We know that we need to diversify um, the workforce. And we know that oftentimes the um, solutions uh, to um, some of the issues that face families are within the community. And so investing in community-based programs is, is really, really critical. And um, how are how are, how's the campaign going? Since you're the senior campaign yeah. director, how's it doing? 
It's, you know, it's not doing too bad. Um, we um, are incredibly pleased that we, you know, we have these, um, so the, the Black Maternal Health Monibus is, is what the legislation is called. Um, we're incredibly pleased that um, we have gotten a wide range of support in Congress. Uh, the Black Maternal Health Monibus passed in um, pieces of uh, the program formerly known as Build Back Better in the House last fall. Um, and is right now pending before the Senate. So we're asking um, folks, I, I will ask your listeners to call um, their member of Congress, their Senator, and ask them to support the Black Maternal Health Momnibus. Um, one, so I, again, I stated that there were 12 different bills in, in that policy um, in the Momnibus. One of them has already passed. So when I say the campaign is, is going well, you know, we can't, it's not done. There's every bill has not been signed into law, but mm -hmm. we did have our first bill signed into law that was the Protecting Moms Who Serve Act okay. that um, specifically is targeted towards um, veterans and, um, and mothers who are serving and the particular needs around that community. Um, and that was uh, signed into law just this past November. So, you know, hey, we are- Congratulations. The other thing, you. you know, I'm sorry, I'm gonna have to say this. No. I don't care what's in it. But I'm going to support any bill that's called the Momnibus Bill. I mean, I just think that is a great name. I don't care what the provisions are. I just love the fact that you got you should get a raise for coming up with that name. Well, it wasn't me, but um, but I oh, am, take credit. Come on, yeah. take credit. Right. No, I want to give full credit to our to our legislative champions, um, Congresswoman um, Lauren Underwood and Congresswoman Alma, Alma Adams, um, Senator Cory Booker. Um, and former U.S. Senator, now Vice President Kamala Harris, um, have been supportive of, of um, were the original co-sponsors of this bill. Um, and so, and I agree, it is it is the name of the bill should pass in its whole, <laughs> by name alone. <laughs> but really, the the pieces, the components in it, from um, from community-based programs to um, uh, uh, d supporting uh, and treating substance abuse um, or substance use disorders, improving maternal mental health. Um, you know, again, the one that passed already supporting uh, veterans, all of these components are critically important um, and really take a holistic approach um, at addressing our um, addressing the maternal health crisis. So, Tina, let me I, you've you've kind of talked about it in, in general terms. But let me ask you this. If, when you've looked at this whole issue of, you know, maternal health, et cetera, et cetera, if there were kind of three key things that you think really would make the biggest impact in, um, in improving maternal health, what would be your top three that you would like to see us kind of really focus on and drive forward? So, you know, as, as your mom told you, always, always ask why I always shoot for the moon. <laughs> Okay. I'm not gonna. I, I can't narrow down to three. Um, the reality is is that 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 these bills um, collectively are a tiny investment. Um, you know, as a part of our, our federal budget, they are a tiny investment um, which will yield yield dividends um, in in lives. Um, and I think you know, even even this tiny investment, um, no investment is too too small um, to save lives and to improve the maternal health care. So. I am. Um, I'm going to decline. <laughs> I'm going to shoot. For okay. The moon and say we yeah, and and I'm going to shoot for the moon and say we need to to pass the the momnibus in its whole. 
Um, each piece is critically important addressing, again, you know, different components of, of the system. And I, I actually might argue that, um, that improving on one or two or three pieces um, isn't going to help us um, attain um, the, the, um, the, the ultimate um, uh, support that, that birthing families really need right now. And so taking a piecemeal approach when it comes to maternal health um, isn't, I would argue, is maybe not the way to go. So I'm not good at following directions. Okay, so let me, let me ask you a question, which um, is always part of the, the political debate. So let me... Absolutely. So let me let me ask it this way, which, you know, maybe it's a little bit insensitive or maybe it's a little bit uh, provocative or, or whatever. Um, so how much of the the the, the problem we have with, um, you know, with maternal health and some of the deficiencies, how much of it is that we got bad social policies and how much of it is that individuals are not being responsible about their own health? Mm, that's an interesting question. Um, I would say that when, um, when you have policies, um, when you have the individuals um, who are making decisions, um, which some may deem poor decisions, um, then that, that is one thing. But when you, when you have a collective problem, uh, taking an individualistic approach um, is, is not the way to deal with that. When one parent is experiencing this, well, okay, maybe you can, again, say that that parent made a, a, a challenging decision um, that, right, someone else, someone, else is, someone else is imposing their values there to say they made a challenging decision. But, um, but when you have a whole set of mothers, a whole set of families who are falling through the cracks, I would argue that it is, policy solutions that are needed to, um, to correct the wrong. And when we, you know, again, when the, the, the data doesn't fail us, um, when 60% of deaths are preventable, um, that, you know, the data is clear that we, we need to make these changes. Um, and thankfully at Moms Rising, we hear every day from families, from our members about um, the deficiencies in the system and how they quote, did everything right and, um, and still face challenges. As, an, as a doula, I see this. Um, I gave birth myself um, at a hospital. Again, I'm a black mom for those who <laughs> were on radio for those who can't see me. Um, and um, I was the doula for, um, for a friend of mine who happened to have lost her job, um, who was unmarried and who had a partner. Um, she had a PhD, she's higher educated than I am. Um, but because she um, was also a black mom who was quote, uninsured for that brief period of time, um, she was treated very differently from me and we birthed in the same hospital. Um, it was because of all the assumptions that were made of her and um, that should not be the case. We need to correct that. Okay. So which country does it best? Oh, I don't know if I have that answer. Okay. Well, we can do then... it better. We are American exceptionalism, right? I don't, and I apologize, I don't, I don't think I have that answer. Okay. Um, and, but but I, I think that, you know, American exceptionalism, we, we always claim to have the best. We, we are one of the wealthiest countries in the world, if not the wealthiest country in the world. I think that we could do it better. I know that we could do it better. Right. And I think you know, I think what you point out is is right. I mean, we should be kind of keep aiming towards getting it better in terms of, yeah. you know, maybe we don't get everything 
all at once, but we should be always moving in that trajectory of getting things better. Let me let me ask a question that you that always has to be asked this day. Um, you know, now um, did how did COVID impact um, maternal health? I mean, it impacted everybody's health negatively. Yeah. But were there specific ways that it it dealt with maternal health? It did, and I appreciate your your asking that. And a study actually came out earlier this year um, that showed that uh, due to COVID, um, maternal mortality actually increased, um, and it's um, it, it, alarmingly. And we know that the next few years are, are going to be even more so. Um, it increased from twenty point one deaths per um, hundred thousand to twenty three point eight, um, and moms of color accounted for that increase. So again you know, addressing um, those issues. I, I like to say that, you know, the one thing COVID did was um, showed us what we're doing well and um, shine a really bright spotlight on the things that we weren't doing well. Um, so yeah, moms moms and families are suffering. Um, so this is one more reason why, uh, you know, we need to, to enact this policy. Tina, I just want to thank you so much for spending time uh, with us on Just Love, making me smarter about some of these issues. Before I let you go, is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners that maybe I didn't ask you about that you think it's important that our listeners know? Yeah, no, thank you. First of all, thank you so much for having me on. It was quite a, quite a treat. I hope you'll have me back to talk about this policy passing and implementation. Um, but um, I invite your listeners to, um, to, to check us out at momsrising.org and join the movement. Um, we work again on a variety of issues, but please join join our movement here to get the uh, the omnibus passed in the Senate. Thank you so much. Great. Okay. Thank you, Tina, for taking the time to be with us on Just Love, and more importantly, thank you for the work that you're doing to try to improve maternal health. So thank you very much for for that. Thank you. Thank you, Tina so Sherman, the senior campaign director for maternal justice campaign at Moms Rising. Um, Tom, I think we will take a break and we'll come back in just a few moments. Just love, just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. Join us when we come back on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.
Now, let's get back to Just Love and your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. Welcome back to Just Love. I'm Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. We're here today talking about a couple of different topics. We just finished on this Mother's Day uh, weekend talking about uh, maternal health. We talked with Tina Sherman. And we're going to be talking in the next segment about one of the most troubled spots of the world uh, these days, Ukraine and some of the humanitarian crisis that is there. And we're going to do a little bit of a reversal of of roles here a little bit. Um, Louis Tavares, who kind of hosted the show probably a month or so ago when I was not available, is actually going to be our interviewer. And she's going to interview me because of a recent trip that I did take to Eastern Europe. And I'll, I'm going to be uh, interviewed by Luce on my experience and some of the issues that are related there. And with that, I will just be quiet. And um, I'm very delighted, Luce, to be a guest on Just Love. Thank you for having me on Just Love. <laughs> Thank you, Monsignor. And thanks for giving me this opportunity. You know, um, while you were away, I had a conversation with, uh, with many people um, mentioning to them that you were on this trip with uh, Catholic Near East Welfare Association and with Cardinal Dolan. And the reaction that I got from people was very different. Some were worried, some were excited, you know. Um, so I have to ask you, what was your mindset going into a war-torn area? My mindset, and you know this yourself, and um, I may tell a little bit of a of a of a story of a number of years ago. Um, you know, I've been privileged in my role as Catholic Charities and some of the other things to been privileged to see firsthand some of the situations which have been very very troubling. You know, in our in our world, and uh, I did um, I did wind up going to Bangladesh a number of years ago when there was the tragedy in some of the factories that were there, a thousand people died at one point. And I know very well going to that part of the world uh, when you and I spoke uh, almost immediately before that, I think you were, you weren't going on the trip, but you were almost more anxious than I was about my, you know, my, my going there. So, so to answer your question is a little bit anxious Um my personality is stuff that I tend not to get overly anxious about this, but was anxious. Eastern Europe is not a place that I have been to much at all. I've been there a little bit. So it was a little bit of, of anxiety and not knowing exactly what I was going to, to face. Um, so a little bit of anxiety, but mm-hmm. also, again, feeling blessed to be able to kind of experience and see firsthand what was the situation, which is all over the media. Right. So 
it, right. So this wasn't your first visit to kind of an area experiencing turmoil. Um, and so other than the obvious war that is happening right now in Ukraine, what was different about going to the border of, um, of the Ukraine? Well, the difference on this trip was one, um, even though we were going to a war zone, I mean, there was tremendous care to make sure that we weren't going onto the battlefield. <laughs> and so from a security point of view, we felt relatively safe. I mean, we did feel, we knew we were in a, a, a theater of war, but not in the air. And in fact, um, initially we were planning to go to the Ukraine and then they told us a number of weeks ago, don't go to the Ukraine because it's too dangerous. But then a couple of days before the trip, they said we could go to the Ukraine because the war had receded to the east. To give our listeners a little bit of sense, because I sometimes get challenged with my geography, and I think a number of us do in the United States. It's almost as if, you know, the the a lot of the war and the action was in, you know, New York, New Jersey, those places, but not much in California. Now it's not, the country is not that big, but the West part of the country was relatively unscathed. Now, not completely, not completely, but as the, as the kind of, it seemed like there was the, uh, the kind of the pulling back of Russian, the invading Russian troops who met a lot of resistance from moving completely West that's when they kind of declared the Western part safe enough that we could go in. So where there wasn't war, that's where we, we went. Right. Um, so, I mean, it's not lost on me that you are the executive director of Catholic Charities. You went with our archbishop. You went with uh, Catholic Near East. What, has, what is the church's response in this area? Well, again, and, you know, as you said, as executive director of Catholic Charities, a couple of things. One is we we work with partners of all religions. And so in our interaction, in our kind of reaching out and helping people, we oftentimes are working with non-Catholic partners in 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 this. One of the things that was very, very kind of uplifting about this particular trip, then we spent most of it in Poland and Slovakia. What was uplifting was the absolute Christian response of solidarity, caring, compassion among primarily the Catholics who were in Poland and Slovakia um, and so it was just so inspiring to see the spontaneous outflowing of gospel values of love, compassion for a neighbor. And, you know, from what we were told, it was spontaneous that local parishes, priests immediately were reaching out as people were coming across the border, providing meals, a place to stay. So it was very, very kind of uplifting and inspiring to me to be perfectly honest, maybe a little boring, that 
the church was doing what we should do, that Christians and Catholics were doing what we should do, and, and that it was being done was very, very uplifting to, to, to see that. That's wonderful. Well, I mean, I guess it's one of the reasons why I love being at Catholic Charities. I feel like we always have a hand in everything that's happening, and it's, uh, and it's usually a helping hand. So, I think uh, that's I think that's right. But let me let me share a little bit with our listeners is a little bit of of a of a take on that is we also met with some of the international caritas organizations and for our listeners um caritas and catholic charities are synonymous. It just so happens that in the United States we use the English word words, Catholic charities. In other countries of the world, they use the Latin word caritas, but all it is is a translation. So it's the same organizations, just with different names. What's interesting to me is in addition to us meeting in, in the trip with caritas and another caritas organization, Catholic Relief Services, as you mentioned, Catholic Nearest Welfare Association, which our job is to organize, co- coordinate, provide the, the care in a very, very professional and compassionate way. What we saw in, in Poland and Slovakia was a lot of grassroots stuff, which wasn't kind of the, the big organized Catholic humanitarian charitable organization. But this was just parishes, local clergy, parishioners who spontaneously you know, contributed their time, their energy, their space to welcoming people. And that was really, really inspiring to me. And, you know, a little bit of a self-reflection for myself is I always have to remember that at Catholic Charities, where I think we do a pretty good job, is we always have to remember to not be overly bureaucratic. We always have to remember to deal with people as people. And we also have to recognize that there are tremendous needs in the world and we have to leave room for somewhat different approaches to meet genuine human needs. And that's what, uh, that's what I saw on this trip. So speaking of things that you saw, there was a particular picture that you sent to me while you were um, in Poland that I found really touching. And for those of you that uh, um, are listening to us, if you go into Monsignor's Twitter account, you'll be able to see this picture. And it's basically a young, a young girl standing on the steps of a church and the church doors wide open. Maybe you can give us your reflection on, on that. Well, that was actually the first parish that we went to. And I believe it was the picture where the open door was just a little bit in the background. And there were a bunch of young people and and their moms there, probably 80 or so, that were welcomed by this parish. And to me, you know, a little bit of kind of symbolism, you know, the doors of the church were open. And so they were welcoming these people. And I'll I'll share with you the fact that, you know, we went into the back room, which wasn't a big back room. And they had all this food. I think it was Ukrainian food 
And, and it was just a welcoming thing. It was because Cardinal Dolan was there and his presence was a tremendous sign of solidarity from, and I'll say this, Christians, Catholics in the West with the needs of Eastern Europe. It was just a very, very clear symbolic there, which was well, well received. So, but we then went to a little bit of other rooms there. And in one of the kind of little rooms of, of this parish house, one of the buildings, there were two families. That was where they were being welcomed and that's where they were living. And, you know, I, I say this with a little bit of, of trying to figure out how to do this. They just did the right thing. They opened this room up, they put some uh, cots in and they put some bedding in. And this is where these individuals were, you know, were living. You know, sometimes I think, you know, we get a little bit too bureaucratic. And to be honest, I don't know what the building code was. I don't know if they were too crowded, but they were warmly received in this place. And it was just a very, very um, wonderfully spontaneous, warm thing about what the church should be about. Well, you know, we certainly are glad that, uh, that you're back home and that you're back home safely. <laughs> but tell, um, tell us what you think, uh, uh, both Christians and, and just a greater American uh, community, what we need to know about perhaps Ukrainians and what's happening there that, that, that may not be as obvious. Well, one of the things I would say is that I think my thinking about this, the fact, okay, so let's do a little bit of context for our listeners, okay? I'm going to be general so people can remember this verbally. Poland and the Ukraine, about the same numbers of people, about 40 million people in each of them, give or take. Uh, Poland, I think, a little bigger, Ukraine a little, but about 40 million people, okay, in the Ukraine. Right now, there are about 12 or 13 million that have been displaced. So 12 out of 40 million, that's like more than 25%. And of that 25% or the 12 million, and I'm giving you round numbers, 5 million of them have crossed the border to Poland, Slovakia, Moldova, Romania, Belarus. But there are additional 7 million who have fled primarily from the eastern part of the Ukraine West. Now, I'm not sure we've placed as much emphasis on the humanitarian needs within the Ukraine. Because our experience was because of the welcoming of people, the humanitarian aid, at least for the current time. Who knows what's going to happen a month from now? But those refugees have been welcomed. They do have food. They have clothes. There's, they are, they've been uprooted. So that's awful in and of itself. But basic human needs are being met. I'm not quite sure that's the case of the 7 million in the Ukraine. So I think we need to place a lot more emphasis 
on the humanitarian crisis within the Ukraine, because also the devastation of those areas that have been just bombed and whatever. I'll give you one example. In one of the places in the Western Ukraine, I live in, um, I met this young woman, probably in her early 20s, a law student from one of the universities in Eastern Europe. Well, she fled because the Russian troops had taken over her home and were using it as their barracks. So she couldn't stay there. So I would, I would like to know a lot more about the suffering, the pain, the needs within the, within the Ukraine itself. So, um, you know, it seems to me that uh, some of the, uh, the relief efforts and some of the people that are helping out are, there's some fear and trepidation about going into the Ukraine, right? Because right. really the situation there. So, so what can we do? Is, is there more that we should be doing? Um, where should our efforts be focused? So Luz, let me let me kind of back up a, a little bit, and I, I've said this in other contexts, is I do think we have to speak the truth. And I and what I mean by this is to just come right out and say this was this is an unjust, aggressive war by Russia against another people. Okay. I just think we have to say that. And so from our Catholic tradition, um, you know, our first default position is always we need peace. We need humanitarian. But we also do have a just war tradition where we say that people do have a right in extreme circumstances to defend themselves. Mm -hmm. So I think as a world community, we have to continue to figure out how we support the Ukrainian people in their fight for their lives and in their defending their homes, et cetera. And I think as the United States, we need to take a leadership position in it. Not that we haven't, uh, but, and we've done a tremendous amount in terms of, of sanctions, calling out what's going on, humanitarian aid, and more recently moved into that area of mili- military aid. I think from our Catholic perspective, which is first peace and humanitarian aid, this is a time when we at least have to recognize the fact that there is a part of our tradition which does recognize that not merely individual self-defense, but the defense of a nation and a community of peoples is something that is understood, respected as part of our tradition. So that's one of the things that I think we should, you know, make sure is part of the debate. It's not the whole story, but I do think we have a, a role to play in, in raising that up. You know, I just, uh, I just heard on the radio a, um, a situation, I believe, in Brooklyn where, where at a bar someone was approached and asked to pronounce a word um, and the person was accused of being Russian and ended right. up that he wasn't. But it kind of reminded me of something that my country, right? My parents are from Dominican Republic. And um, during the dictatorship there, um, in order to identify the Haitians, they would have them say, pronounce the word perejil. And if you were Haitian, you couldn't pronounce it. So, I mean, I, I say this because 
you know, I'm just wondering what this war on the other side of the world, if there are any ripple effects that you expect here? Um, I don't know. I don't don't know. The only thing I would 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 kind of say, you know, and then you brought up the Dominican Republic or whatever uh, in the railroad station in one of the border towns in Poland, where we went uh, last Sunday. There was a volunteer there, Nelson Mejia Mm -hmm. from Woodbridge, New Jersey who had been there for two months was from the Dominican Republic. He, he actually lost his job as a chef. And so he was now over there in the railroad station, welcoming refugees from the Ukraine. And, and also he told me he had also been down to the border working actually in the same place we went with sister Norma at the border. So there is a real sense of, of kind of solidarity, which is critically, critically important. Um, hey, Tom, I think, is it my job to point out that we need to take a break? Um, and, uh, you know, we can do this again if there is uh, more that you, other questions that you have. Um, Luz, thank you. And thank you for having me on Just Love. And take a break. <laughs> thank you. Join us when we come back in a minute on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.
Just do it. Just love. Just check out Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, who's here right now. Take it away, Monsignor. Welcome back to Just Love. I'm Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. This is our weekly conversation about the church in the world. This is our attempt to look at what's going on in the world through the prism of our Catholic values. Uh, I just shared with you, our listeners, uh, through the help with the help of Luz Tavares, my experience in, in the Ukraine. And we'll do a little bit more on this. It is certainly an evolving situation that was there. I, I felt privileged to have been invited by Cardinal Dolan to go with him. He is the chair of the Catholic Near East Welfare Association. And I learned a lot more about that organization. It's an organization that was founded many, many years ago, I believe. I could be wrong on this, but I believe in the aftermath of the Second World War to show the concern of the Western churches, which we usually refer to as the Roman Catholic Church, but it's really the Latin Church, the Western rights of the Catholic Church, their concern and solicitude for the Eastern churches, which in the United States, we don't know a whole lot about because there aren't a lot of Eastern uh, right Catholics. I'm not going to get into the whole thing about the difference between Orthodox Christians and others. It really, really is confusing. And because I'm confused, I would probably confuse you more by it. But be that as it may, the Catholic Nearest Welfare Association is kind of the papal organization that says we need to be concerned about those Eastern churches. And Cardinal Dolan is the chair of that organization. And it was in that capacity that he went to visit and look at some of both the humanitarian and the pastoral work done by Catholic Near East Welfare Association. And I also will mention that, you know, I experienced so much good being done by a number of Catholic organizations, the Knights of Columbus, the Knights of Malta, Aid to the Church in Need, Caritas, Catholic Relief Services. Really, there was a tremendous outpouring of Catholic individual parish, individual Christian responses, but also the organized organizations, which, you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, why do they get together? What they're just, some of them wear capes and stuff like that. But no, no, this was really reaching out in real humanitarian uh, outreach to sisters and brothers who were in need. So it was a very, very uplifting trip. We'll share more about it. And in this Mother's Day weekend, I always say, you know, we really, really want to support mothers, struggling mothers, mothers who are in thriving families, but always, always remembering that there are millions of women who will suffer a tremendous amount of pain this weekend because they're not moms. They would like to be moms, and for whatever reason, they are not. So when we exalt mothers, let's also remember a little bit in a prayer those women who might be really suffering because they're not moms and they would like to be. Just love. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. 
and our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. Join us when we come back again on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. You're listening to the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. 